This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Tuesday, the 2nd of November, 2021. And Norman, we're a couple of days late to do like a spooky Halloween special, but there is some... We keep hearing about scary variants, or as I like to call them, scariants. And because Delta has had such a devastating effect on the world, we're really on our guard against what the next variants might be, and we're sort of looking around. And one of the variants that does seem to be popping up as a variant of interest, if not a variant of concern, is this one that's called AY4.2. And there's some new data that's come out about us. It kind of paints a picture about that variant, as well as a bit of an idea of the broader picture of what we're looking for with variants of of potential concern. That's right. And we had Eddie Holmes on uh, two or three weeks ago on Chronicast, which you should look for on a Friday. And he was talking about variants and he was saying that new variants will arise um, and we should expect that. So everybody's on alert, as you quite rightly say. So this AY 4.2 has been showing itself, particularly in the UK, and it's been growing and it looked as if it was might be muscling out Delta in some instances. And they've had a good look at it because the worry is that you're going to get a vaccine-resistant variant. And the good news about AY4.2, without going into the report in huge detail, is that it does not seem to be vaccine-resistant. There's a slight diminution in the effectiveness, particularly of Pfizer, but it's 1% or 2%. It's really probably not statistically significant. Um, and it probably is a little bit more contagious but this is not a killer variant that's going to wipe out Delta. It's, it, it's a small modification and not, one, and not one to be hugely concerned about, particularly because even if it does muscle out Delta to some extent, it's not particularly vaccine resistant. So it's not going to change the world for vaccination. So why might it be spreading more then if it doesn't sort of seem to have any particular advantage? It'll just be contagiousness. It'll just be a, a more contagious virus, a bit more contagious than Delta. That That's the, the message here. And it's not a variant of concern because it's highly unlikely to be more fatal, cause more people to go into hospital. It's simply that it's a bit more contagious. And uh, it's obviously not devastatingly more contagious because it hasn't wiped out Delta, to use Eddie Holmes' phrase, in a shootout um, between viruses. And it's still vaccine sensitive. So if we're fully vaccinated, we're going to resist this variant as much as we did Delta. How worried should we be here in Australia? I can see um, the GP's newsletter saying that it has been detected here. Yeah, according to reports, there's been one genome in Australia of AY4.2. Presumably it's coming from overseas. It is possible that you get this thing called convergent evolution where it's evolved here separately but it's likely that it's been introduced from the UK, likely from hotel quarantine, but who knows? Look, bottom line here, maybe 10% more transmissible than Delta, still vaccine sensitive, probably not something to get too concerned about at this point. And like you said, Norman, if people want to listen to the, our interview with Eddie Holmes, which wasn't about this particular variant, but it was about what might come along and replace Delta eventually, they can go back to the 15th of October. It's really well worth a listen. So let's talk about what's happening here in Australia because of the very valiant efforts of vaccination that's happening, especially in the places that have outbreaks here at the moment. We are seeing pretty dramatic drops in case numbers, especially in New South Wales. I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for there to be a spike after the reopening happened, but the numbers just continue to drop. Yep. So it's 135 yesterday, five in the ACT. So they're 
Based, he's holding its own. Victoria's up and down, so it dropped a fair bit the day before yesterday. Yesterday it was up to 1,471. But hospitalisation numbers seem to be dropping in Victoria, which will be a reflection of all the freshly vaccinated, fully vaccinated Victorians around, uh, making them much more resistant to hospitalisation. So good news all round. And Victoria, although the hospital system is stretched and doctors and nurses are very tired, it does seem that vaccination is turning around hospital numbers. So that's good news in Victoria. Even, And it shows that there are resilience, that even though the numbers are, are resistantly high in Victoria, the impact on hospitalisation seems to be improving day by day. It's probably a bit too early to have this conversation about Victoria, but in New South Wales and the ACT, the numbers are getting so low that do you think that they should get back to zero again? And if they do, does that change the strategy? No, I think it's unlikely they'll get back to zero. And remember, uh, New South Wales and ACT are going to open up even more, although they're talking about the New South Wales delaying the access to all services for the unvaccinated. So that I think we've yet to hear the final detail on that. This is not the end of COVID, and I don't think we should expect to get to zero. The virus is still going to be circulating. People are going to bring it in from overseas, even though they're negative testing, they're negative on testing before they get on the plane. There will be the odd person who's carrying it in with a slower incubation period. So the virus is going to be around, and I don't think we should expect zero. And I don't think we should expect that we return to no vigilance at all. We, we really are going to have to be careful. South Australia, some people are saying, is probably being more careful than it perhaps needs to be. In the states which have very high levels of immunisation, it's going to be great news, but we're going to have to keep a close eye on things. So speaking of keeping a close eye on things, we were talking yesterday about rapid antigen testing and our guest Ian Norton mentioned the fact that there were some rapid antigen tests on the market that performed slightly better than others. And then he, then you asked him, Norman, for brand names and he couldn't give them to us. We just wanted to let you know because a lot of people have been writing in asking for those, um, for those brand names. He said that it was on the New South Wales government website. That government website is no longer uh, showing that. And we've got some questions in with with New South Wales, the Therapeutic Goods Administration and others, and we'll get back to you on that when we know. We will. So let's talk about getting back to normal life because David has written in Norman and it's a really sweet letter. David's listened to almost every episode. He and his wife are wanting to have kids next year, so they want to have one last travel trip, as so many people do um, at that stage of life. And they're just wondering where they might be able to go now that the international borders seem to be reopening. But of course, we're still living with this virus. Where would we advise them to go? Are you ready to put on your travel agent hat and uh, give David some travel advice? No, I'm not going to give advice. But uh, look, um, uh, look, I'll say what I haven't said actually on Coronacast before is that the day they announced that they were going to open up travel for Australians to go overseas, I booked a fair, very expensive fair, I have to say, to Washington, D.C. to see my son, daughter-in-law and uh, granddaughter. Uh, I know I'm too, too young to have a granddaughter, but, you know, I've got one nonetheless. Okay, mate. And uh, so I was, I was prepared to go to the United States, even though there's plenty of virus around. The fact that I'm vaccinated and well vaccinated, I'm pretty relaxed about going almost anywhere. But when Except the gym. Except the gym. But when I go to those places, I'm just not going to go nuts into crowded indoor environments and I'm not going to push the local gym in Jonathan's suburb to take me on as I usually do. I will just um, have a you know, bit of exercise at home. 
Baby cuddles are cardio. Uh, so David's saying he wants to go to either the USA or Spain, but maybe they might just stay in Australia or New Zealand instead. Well, it's good for our balance of payments if you stay in Australia or in New Zealand, but if, if it was me, I wouldn't be too worried either way. It's funny, I spent so long, so much time of the last two years just not even thinking about going overseas, but now that those borders are opening, I'm starting to get that, that travel bug again. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of Australians going away. And one more question from Sam Norman, and I'm getting a bit sick of these questions. Sam saying that his friends believe that the only benefit of being vaccinated is to prevent oneself from severe disease. And he's asking us to summarise various different impacts that vaccination has. I'm, of course, not angry at Sam, but I am getting pretty sick of the fact that we said over and over again that there are so many benefits to the community at large from being vaccinated. It's not just about protecting yourself. No, it's not. Um, you are protecting the community at large. So, the core thing here, what does the vaccine do for you? Both Pfizer and Astra prevent you from getting infected to a different extent, but still, you know, at worst, about 40% after a few months on Astra, and it's still up at about 60% after a few months on Pfizer. That's a lot compared to the general community. So you're reducing by a half the proportion of people in the community who could catch COVID. And that's one reason why the numbers are getting low in New South Wales. So that's huge for the community. So every person that gets vaccinated, they're reducing the risk of virus spreading in the community by about a half. And if you wear masks in enclosed public spaces, you're covering it, you're, you're reducing it even further. And yes, for yourself, you are protecting yourself against severe disease at a very high level. That does decline a little bit at six months, but not a lot for most people. People over 80, it does tend to be quite a lot. So that's huge. Now, protecting yourself against severe disease doesn't just help you. So there is a community benefit for that. Because if you get severe disease, as you can, under 20, you can get serious disease, you can end up in ICU, you can end up on a ventilator. That's a place in ICU that cannot be taken up by somebody who's got an unavoidable problem. So you've got an unavoidable problem. You could have prevented that getting into ICU. But a person who's got a stroke needing brain surgery or you know, intervention with stroke or somebody who's needing urgent cardio, uh, major heart surgery or major surgery for cancer, it's unavoidable. There's no bed in ICU and therefore they can't do the operation and you are preventing somebody who's got a treatable pr problem that's, a, that's unavoidable from getting treated. And that's a major community effort, not to mention putting doctors and nurses at risk and making them exhausted so that perhaps quality of care overall declines simply because we've got an exhausted healthcare system. I think there's a lot of community benefit from vaccination beyond what you might think at first blush. Absolutely. And you mentioned Pfizer and AstraZeneca by name there. Of course, Moderna is in the same league as those other vaccines. Do it for yourself. Do it for your community. Indeed. And we'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. 